0: Welcome to church. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm one of the lucky fools that gets to be a part of the leadership here at the table MPLS. We love our community. We are a ragtag group of people who are, you know, trying to do what's right, trying to remain faithful, trying to ask the important questions, trying to struggle through it all together. And I think by and large... We're finding our stride right now. And so thank you for showing up. Thank you for being a part of this group. Our number one priority, actually, let me say this thing first. Honestly, like the reason why I love Lake Harriet Banshell's summer mornings like this one right here, even if the rain does come forth crashing on our heads, is it's an opportunity for us to break past the parameters of our own community and say to our neighbors, we love you, we're here for you. However we can be in your corner, please do let us know. We would love for your story to merge with ours so we can see who we can actually become together. That's the aim. That's the goal. Cards on the table. That's what's happening here. I actually want to say this too because I'm responsible for the announcements that Christian let me know prior to. Is um, For the month of August... Like what you are hearing this morning and want to actually participate further in the life of this community, we will be gathering at Bethlehem Lutheran Church on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Will there be pizza? Yes, there will be pizza provided for you. It's Grace, I got pizza just for you, girl, and nobody else. You were the one the issues. It's, it's me, not you. Um, but the last word I want to say is that really is our intention is that we are a community that through the... You know, sometimes we're sprinting and sometimes we're stumbling, but all times we are trying to be a benevolent and generous expression of the Christian faith, which I think if we are soberly honest right now, we would recognize we are in desperate need of. We are in need of something good to come out of the proclaimed good news. Did you catch the last thing I said? Because I do want to properly introduce ourselves. So Maggie's telling me our communications director to say it one more time. We are a community through technological struggles and everything else that is setting out to together embody a benevolent and generous expression of the Christian faith, especially right now in this time that we are in, because we recognize that the church is in need of that. We we need a gentler face of the church. We need a church of empathy and compassion. And so we're setting out to do so. If you don't believe me, case in point, last night my wife and I I was just telling Nancy Hirschfeld about this because um. Well, actually, I don't know how it came up, Nancy, but last night we went to Brandy Carlisle. Anybody else to that show at the excellent, was it not the most beautiful hour, two hours, three hours that you spent in the past year? Absolutely, it was. It wasn't so pretty, though, prior to going in. Prior to going in, I was, I wouldn't say I was, like, hangry. I was feeling a little bit tired. It's the end of a Saturday. We're at Richfield Pool all day with the kids. I'm just, like, I'm, at the, I'm on E at that point. We get to the Excel Energy Center, we park, and I'm realizing I'm going to have to walk a few laps to get to the Excel Center. And this body doesn't exercise often. I don't know if that's painfully obvious to you, but last time I exercised is when I exercised my right to vote. Last last fall, I believe. And so it doesn't happen frequently. But we got to there, and when we finally arrived at the center, we got to the door, and there was this long line that we were all standing in. I recognized that, I, I mean, everyone here is pretty tired. When I looked around, at least cursory glance, everyone looked pretty tired. And to top it off, amongst the fatigue that people are generally feeling and some sense of low-level frustration, perhaps, at the circumstances at hand and trying to get in to see BC firsthand, there was this preacher who was there who had a bullhorn in his hand. And he said, if you think you are tired, you wouldn't imagine how tired God is of you. Oh, God is so sick of you. His stomach turns whenever God thinks about you. This man went on and on. And Lauren, I think, my, my lovely, beautiful, faithful wife, my voice of reason in my life, she said, um, don't do anything stupid. Like, maybe practice a little restraint right here. And I did my best. I gave it a full-blown college effort, but... I I was a C student in college, so I know that that was a paper-thin effort at best. And so eventually I said, Lauren, I'll be right back. And I went over to this man and I said, I'm just gonna ask you, can you please stop shouting at these, all these people on this line, they're tired as is, and they're trying to come here to this concert tonight to enjoy themselves. Can you please stop harassing them and then acting as if Jesus is endorsing your bowling that you're doing right now? And this man, um, he disagreed with my take. Instead, to the large crowd, he he looked at them and he said, I'm going to let you all know right now that this man right here, you're going to want to avoid him because he's an apostate, wicked devil. Which, honestly, is a future band name for me. I'm not entirely sure. Here's the sermonic bridge I'm trying to build, though, is that if I could take that moment and attach it to where we are right now, I think that there's a lot of people, show hands if you want to, who are feeling some kind of tired, like you've been running around, feeling perhaps in a stuck, fatigued, exhausted place, like you are at the edge of your own resources. And God's silence perhaps is screaming. The inactivity of an intervention that's going to pull you out of the struggle that your story is stuck in, it is making you feel as if God is on a bullhorn saying, you think you got it bad. I am sick to my stomach watching you. Is anybody this morning feeling tired? Is anybody feeling in a way that's reflecting in the clouds, not knowing if the sun's going to stay out right now or if the rain's about to break through and shut the whole thing down? Is anybody at the, the edge of their own resources? If so, will you just show your hands? This is not to show you how to show your hands. This is actually where I'm at. I feel like I'm in a season right now where the demands on me are outweighing like the competencies without me, within me. Like I don't know for sure yet if I have what it takes to face all that I'm facing at this moment. And I'm tired. I'm tired of actually wondering if I have what it takes (laughs) to face what I'm facing right now. I'm tired of it being this ambiguous ghost that hovers above my head. I'm tired. And so one of the things I went to a mentor recently and asked him to do, I said, what do you do in those places where you feel like your story got stuck and, and exhaustion is all around you? He said, well, you're, you're a, a preacher. What is a text that has been helpful for you in the past? And there's one text that came to mind. I want to tell you a story this morning that I know that I've told our table community before. But for some strange reason, in the season that I'm in and the stretch that keeps on stretching, it has been a source of strength, solidarity, empowerment, and I hope it offers you the same. The story is coming out of John 6. John 6, 16 through 21, I like to affectionately call this story the mid-late crisis. It's the third cousin twice removed of the midlife crisis, which after turning 37 a couple weeks ago, I know exactly what that is like. Hello, topics, hair supplements. Hello, like anti-aging lotion. Hello. John 16, 16 through 21, it is a powerful story because not only does it provide the theological significance of showing how Jesus has superiority over Storms and inclement weather, and the situations that we are in, but it has anthropological significance because he says, Yes, Jesus is intimate to your story. You who raised your hands, you who said, I'm at the end of my rope, you who said that there is a fatigue that I cannot shake, regardless if you believe that there is a God or not, or you subscribe to the, the claims of the Christian tradition, this story has good news for you. I'll stop piping it up. It goes like this When evening came, His disciples went down to the lake. They went down there because Jesus told them to get down there. Jesus said, this is our next move. Please go on and make it. Let's go, tick meets tack meets toe. When the disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum, by now it was dark. And Jesus, he had not joined them. He wasn't in the boat next to them. At that point, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough some familiarity in there already this is what john says about the disciples in that boat who were who were rowing when the wind was blowing when they had rowed about three or four miles they saw jesus approaching the boat walking on the water and they were scared and you would be too right if you were you would not be scared in a moment like that i would absolutely be out of mind terrifying if i was sitting in a boat rowing across a lake and i saw a man toe topping the white caps across the sea, I would absolutely panic. I wouldn't know what to make of it. The, the disciples, they don't know what to do with this. It's either Casper, the ghost, or Christ, the Lord, but the, we don't really know. It's ambiguous at this point right now. So they're completely scared. They turn to one another and go, how is this actually going to get right? How are we going to make this thing actually work with the wind picking up and this Casper approaching us? And then the ghost turns out to be God and speaks to those in the boat and says, It's me. Oh my gosh. Just hitting me right now. Like I don't know what your struggle is right now, but how much of a gift would it be just to hear God say it's me, I'm not far, it feels far, I feel disconnected perhaps from your predicament right now, but I'm actually it's me. What you think is is a threat to your life is actually the solution. I'm close, it's me, so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. John says that when Jesus gets into the boat, the boat gets out of the storm. See, I don't know if you picked up on this moment right here, but at the end of that verse 20 through 21, it's a common story. You know, it's one of the more underrated miracles, next to like Jesus having 12 friends in his 30s. I think that's the top miracle of all miracles. But this miracle has weight. And in this story, it says this, when Jesus gets close to the boat, and they were about to take him in the boat, What happens next is flyover territory, but don't you miss it this morning. It says immediately the boat reached the shore where they are headed. Now a lot of like pillows have been stitched and magnets have been made around the words that Jesus said, it's me. Don't be scared, you're good. I'm with you till the end. But it's the tail end that captures me this morning. When Jesus got into the boat, John says they got out of their battle. When Jesus got into their place, John says they escaped their pain. When Jesus got next to them and grabbed an oar and rowed through the storm at head, it says that that storm boat became a speed boat. When you make space for Jesus in your boat, Jesus will take you from the place of the battle to the place of the shore. That's what I read in John's gospel. Now, before we camp out in that space right there, let's just set the scene appropriately. When I Google earth this thing, and I'm assuming the dimensions are relatively the same, it said to me that this lake, to cross it in its entirety, would be about seven miles long, which means when John says that they were at the three to four mile mark, that they were at the center of the lake when they ran into the storm, and I... On the table, I wasn't in that boat, neither was the writer behind John, but that tends to be how it works. I mean, whenever you're standing on a dock and it's all sunny skies, you have no idea about the inclement weather that's going to meet you in the center, but between the dock and the destination, between where you start and where you intend to go, there is always stormy weather. It always gets a little choppy. It always gets filled with unknowns. I don't know how this is gonna shake out. I don't, didn't expect this to come. This curveball was not something that I accounted for. Marriages, weddings are great. I'm not trying to get personal with you and get into the weeds, that's not my intention. We're just getting to know one another, but getting married is easy. Staying married can be hard. Having kids is very easy. Raising kids, does that look in my three boys, can be a little more challenging. Starting a business can be easy. Sustaining that business, that can be hard. There is something about the dock where we are wide-eyed in the sunny skies that does not expect the storm in the center, but it always is there. Newton's third law still stands. For every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. When you push out, something will push back. When you step forward, something will threaten to step on. What do you do when the rains and the winds and the high tides pick up? Do you actually keep pushing or do you tend to fold it in? Do you actually push back on the wind that's pushing you? Does the rain bring you to ruin? Or do you stick it out with ore in hand and keep on rowing long enough where you can actually experience its reward? It's an important question. Again, like regardless of your religious affiliation or if you're like that open to the idea of God or if you're like a strict adherent to the Christian faith, I don't care where you stand. The question of when things get hard, do you keep going or do you turn around? That's gonna be an eternal universal question that hangs over each of our heads. And I'm asking it this morning because so many stories have set out on the dock that I've seen sank in the center. So many people have gone out for a particular destination, be it in relationships, be it in their jobs, be it in whatever the thing might be. And so many boats have gotten sunk in the center. What's so with you? I mean, this is why we have January gym memberships and June cancellation fees. This is why we have these things where we are all wide-eyed and we'll talk a big game on Insta and Facebook. and everything. We're going to do this and then we're going to do that and then we're going to do this. And Then the first sign that the clouds start to brew, we fold it in and we go, well, maybe this isn't, maybe we'll actually like blame it on God. Maybe we should go back. This clearly isn't in the hand of God. This isn't in the will of God. And so we turn around. There is not a more universal question, especially just given the baseline information that i received from seeing all of your hands go into the air where when things get hard for you, when your story gets into a place of stuck, what do you do? Do you push forward? Or do you let the winds that push back on you dictate the totality of your story? So now here's the thing that trips me up about this story is that when I recognize that, when I recognize that not everybody survives the middle, that not every dream gets, gets to endure through the choppy weathers in the center, that not every 24 hours of sobriety gets to stretch into 24 days, that not every marriage is able to keep it going, all of those things when it gets choppy in the center. What I recognize is that this text says to me, as I already said to you, that when Jesus gets into your boat... You get out of your battle. Read it once more time. It says that immediately when Jesus got into the boat, the boys got out of their battle. And the only reason why you're not on your feet, maybe even on your bench, singing songs of celebration and praise and really letting your hair down right now is because even though it may say that in scripture, that hasn't been true in your story. It may say that when Jesus gets into your boat, when you offer up a prayer, when you say, yes, Lord, come and take me for what you will, God, do what you need to do. In our story, we have friends that still die from cancer. In our story, even if we pray for the depression to go away, that depression can still stay. The loneliness can still linger. The hardships still endure. So what do you do with your story in light of this scripture when the scripture says that, How do you make sense of this? This is a question that I took to one of my seminary professors and I said, I guess I'm just kind of struggling right now because I like to believe that I'm a person of transparency and honesty and I pursue these things of integrity at all costs. But like if I were to read John 6 and I told people about how Jesus got into a boat and then they got out of their battles, how if you say yes to Jesus, all of your stresses and anxieties and worries and burdens, whatever they may be, they immediately be eviscerated. I would be lying to each and every one of you. So how do I make sense of that? How do I make sense of Jesus getting into their boat and all of a sudden they're out of their battle? What my professor said to me is, maybe ask a question about when he got into the boat. So I went back to the text. And I asked a different kind of question. He said, you know, they saw Jesus toe-tapping on the waves and defying the laws of buoyancy. But that's not necessarily when Jesus for sure got into the boat. Just because they saw Jesus on the waves doesn't mean immediately that Jesus got into the boat. What if Jesus didn't go into their boat in the center of the storm? What if Jesus didn't get into their boat until they got to the shore? What if Jesus didn't climb on board next to all of the disciples who were straining, who were rowing with shoulders burning, who were concerned with all kinds of doubts and fears? What if Jesus let them strain their way through that storm so that he could meet them close to the shore? And when he got to the boat... They were almost already on the sandy shores. Just ask the question, what if? What if Jesus is understanding what every healthy coach and every healthy parent and therapist intends to try to tell you in your life, in your struggles, in your storms, whatever they might be, Jesus understands that if he spares you of your struggles, he's going to strip you of your strength, and that's not what love would ever do. Now, I'm not saying that your, your problems are actually gateways to possibility and providence. No, lies. Problems are problems. What I'm saying, though, is that they're not just problems. What if the things that you are facing are not just coming to end you, but also to equip you, not just for this storm, but the storms that are coming? So one of my roles outside of leading the table is I serve as one of the chaplains for the Timberwolves. And when I told this story to the guys at the beginning of the season, I had one guy across the room cut me off mid-sermon. How dare he do that? And he said, listen to me, how would you, I just feel like it's a really dumb idea to say that God wants me to embrace my struggle. Why would God ever want me to embrace my struggle? To which I said to him, why would Coach Finch ever want you to go into the weight room? It's through the hardships, through the stretching that you actually discover that you're strong. It's through the actual failures coming to the end of yourself that you finally become yourself. What if Jesus understood what every therapist understands, that this struggle sucks, it's not good, there's no silver lining to attach. But at the same time, if you embrace it for what it is and not run in the opposite direction, this problem could offer some provision. Is this why Jonah, at the end of the parable of Jonah and the whale, when he gets swallowed by the whale, it says one thing. But when he gets to the other side, Jonah says, this whale was provided by the Lord. I don't think he would have called that problem a provision out of the gates. But when he endured it long enough, he did so. Is this why Paul says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Why would Jesus give us strength if we weren't going to face these kinds of struggles? What's the point of strength if there aren't those times we're going to have to push forward? I guess I just want to say to you before the water comes down and we have a hot mess of storms all day, keep rowing. I saw your hands. You saw mine. The only option ahead of us in a moment like this is that we keep our oars in the water and we keep straining. Do not let that dream, that boat, that desire, that destination that you set out for sink in the center of the storm. The writer of Hebrews, she says that Jesus was able to endure the cross and all the ugliness that came with it because Jesus had a joy that was set before him that was bigger than the pain that was falling on him. Is the same true for you? Again, this is the universal eternal question that hangs over our heads. Will you keep rowing where the rain brings most to ruin? I know this is church. I know this is ritualistic. I know this is something we participate in because we should and we're a part of a tradition and we're a part of a community and in one ear and out the other. I get it. I'm with you 100%. Yes. But please let that question linger a little bit longer. How do you see the problems ahead of you? Are they only problems? Or could there be some provision embedded inside them? When I look at the life of Jesus, I recognize that the approval of heaven does not exempt you from the attacks of hell. That doesn't mean that God isn't close. That doesn't mean that God isn't with you. That doesn't mean that God hasn't provided a joy that is bigger than the troubles in front of you. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you are good, Jesus, you are our center. You are the place that we orient our lives around. Give us the strength to see our problems as more than problems. To not belittle the damage and severity that comes with each, but to recognize, God, that there might be something that I can extract from this more than just grief and pain and agony. There might be something for my strength. There might be something for my power. God, give us the courage to stop asking you to take us out of our battles. And the wisdom, God, to ask you to help us to see what's inside of them. You are with us. You are for us. Help us keep growing. In Christ's name, each and every one of us we pray. Amen. Uh, listen, before we go, let's benedict throw ourselves out of here. You know, I was having this memory as we were singing. That song, thinking about the question that hangs over our heads, where I was in this AA group a year ago today, and this lady came in and she had had multiple this is my first 24 hour sober type moments, but she had a different, there was a different thing in her eyes this day when she said, You guys, I finally figured out that in all of the struggle that is ahead of me right now, all of the weight that I feel on my shoulders, if God was just trying to get me out, If God was only concerned about me having big finishes, God would never be able to grow up into who God wants me to be. Embrace where you are. Stories struggle. It's a universal experience. What do you do with the pain that you are holding? That's the number one question I want you to ask yourself as you head home tonight. But here's the reality. Will you please stand up and hold your hands out and receive these words from the heart of God. This is the thing that we say at the end of every table service because regardless if you found anything helpful or whatever inside the sermonic content, please hear this. This is our number one priority that you pick up when you spend some time with us. Friends, no matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed, know that they will always Be a seat for you at the table because you are the beloved child of God. And beloved, you belong. I love you guys. Go in peace. Get out of the rain.